born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. Now, meekness is the surrendering of your power, your rights. See, majority of Christians are fighting for their rights. I got the right to do this. I got the right. You may have the right. But meekness is surrendering the right. Now, this is what happens when a wife surrenders her power to her husband. Or a man surrenders his power. The right to choose. Do whatever I want to do with my life. And you surrender that and you give it to the Lord. But the only way you can do that is because of the humility. Humility is a position of the mind, not the position of the body. And just because you crawl on the floor here doesn't make you humble. And if I do this... Doesn't mean I'm humble. See how humble I am? I'm so holy. You may do that because you want people to think how spiritual you are. Like his women said, I am so proud, I'm so humble. I think my brother said that, but I'm not real sure. No. But now, in verse 3, where it has the word unity, you ought to underline it or circle it. And when you have unity, now I'm not talking about just union. We are all bonded together because of our salvation. But that doesn't mean we all have peace with one another. But you want unity in the bonds of peace. So the peace is because of unity. A man, woman. Now they have union because they're, they're married. But there's not peace because there's not unity. So God wants us to learn how to think the same way. So now he tells us and shows us in a very simple way about the, the unity of the Godhead and a few other things that God has done. Look there in verse 3, uh, excuse me, verse 4. There is one body, that's unity, one spirit, and then in verse 5, one Lord, Christ, and in verse 6, one God and Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And because of that unity, though they are individual, they're all three God, but yet there's three persons in the Godhead. You and I will never fully understand that. But we don't have to totally understand it. We just know that in the Godhead, they didn't get up this morning and have a big old argument before breakfast. Now, sometimes we do, or before church. In the Godhead, there is perfect unity. There's perfect peace. And God says, now, concerning the believers, he wants there to be perfect peace. And peace is because of unity. So the Lord tells us that we be of the same mind, the same judgment. 
So God has given to us one body of truth, the Word of God. How many Bibles are there? There's only one body of truth, one Bible. And this one Bible is where we get our faith from. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So look what he says in verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, some people say this is talking about, you know, water baptism and so on. I think this is a, something that has to be true for every believer. Not every believer is water baptized. But all believers are spirit baptized. So when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were baptized into the body of Christ. So we're all in one body. That's union. And because of our, our faith in the Lord. But we all have one body of truth. Now, if all of God's children all read the same body of truth, and there's only one Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all one, and there's unity there, that means there can be no disagreement in Scripture. So as we read the Scriptures, and we all believe the same thing, why shouldn't there be unity and peace? So between a man and a woman, the more they know each other and understand each other, and the more they agree, the more peace they'll have. And whenever there isn't this unity, there's not going to be the peace. Now you and I have peace with God because of the payment Christ made. But doesn't mean you have the peace of God. See, a little faith in what Christ did for you takes the soul to heaven. But faith in what the Word of God says can bring heaven to the soul. So you can have the peace with God, but not the peace of God. In other words, His peace does not rule in your own heart, so that you're settled and that you are mature in the Lord. So He says that many are like, you know, every wind of doctrine that comes along, you're not settled, not rooted, not grounded. So get what He says here. In verse 6, one God and Father of all who is above all, so there's nobody above Him, and through all, He's in all of us, and in you all. So God is one God, and there is unity. And now He's telling us, because of the unity that's in the Godhead, then we, His children, ought to have unity. Don't that make sense? So as we study this, and then you'll notice that the very next word, the very next verse, has the word but. Why? Because he's going to show us something. Going to reveal what God has done to produce this unity, and this peace, and this love. Because see, that's the way they are, and God wants us to be like them. So he says in verse 7, he said, but... Unto everyone, that means individually. See, there's a, a group, there's a union, but now individually, he says, now, I want you to understand, God has given grace to every individual to do whatever it is God wants you to do. So in other words, he says he did not give the measure of grace to Christ in a limited way, but he was totally, in the book of John, uh, without measure. Here he's talking about he's given to something to every one of us. Look in verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. What he's talking about is that 
when he descended into the lower part of the earth, it says that he ascended, but he gave gifts unto men. In other words, something for everybody to do. Something for everybody to do. And uh, that gift means it is a, a personal responsibility. What does God want you to do? Now, there's certain things that we all got to do the same way. We're all supposed to love and be, you know, forgiving and all that. But what is that particular ministry that God has for you or has for me? So that's why we're to study the Word of God to find out, God, what do you want me to do individually? If I do what God wants me to do and you do what God wants you to do, you're serving Him and I'm serving Him. And God never tells me to do anything against you and you against me. The closer both of us get to God, the closer we get to each other. And the closer we get to each other and we're all in agreement with God, the more peace we should have. Did you know that churches today do not have power? No, they got numbers. There's some churches that can have 5,000, 10,000, and yet be a powerless church. And you can have a small body of believers and they can accomplish all kinds of things. It's what kind of power is working in the lives of every individual. See there in that last verse, in the, uh, verse 20 of chapter 3, where he says that we ask or think according to the, get this, power that worketh in us. In other words, God will use you and reveal things to you and through you according to the power that already works in you. In other words, if you're not doing what you can with what you have where you are, why should God give you more? Why should God open up bigger doors for you, greater opportunities for you, when you're not faithful with what you have, where you are? Boy, if I had a million dollars, what? If you're not faithful with the hundred that you've got, why would you be faithful if you had a million? You're not. God says, he that is faithful in that which is little will be faithful in that which is much. So you see, don't live in a dream world. Oh, if I could do this, if I could do that, well, what can you do now? Then you do that and be found faithful. And you'd be surprised how God will cause you to have abilities and talents to do things that you never dreamed of doing. God's in charge. But he gave gifts unto every individual. That means every person here who has trusted Christ as Savior, God has a particular job for you to do. And majority of Christians, I believe, live their whole lives and never find out what it is. They never wind up serving the Lord to see what God could have done through them. Remember one day when we get to heaven and God reveals to you what you could have done. Your jaw's going to drop. You say, what? And you'll realize what you gave up for what you got that never lasted past this life. Anyway, always something to think about. Now, back to verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. In other words, God gives you the amount of grace that you need, the desire and the power to do the will of God, whatever it is that God wants you to do. And he uses an illustration in the book of Matthew chapter 25. He gave one man ten talents. Another man only five. Another one he only gave him two. But whatever he gave them, see, God didn't require the same thing except faithfulness out of anyone. It doesn't matter because, well, I don't have as much talent as she got or this person or that. It doesn't matter. It's will you be faithful to do with your talents 
according to what God gave you. Because God's not going to judge you about what somebody else did or didn't do. It's because of what you've got. What did God entrust you with? Then that's what you do. And you ought to be happy and satisfied with that. Because it's your own personal walk between you and God. Now, as he says here in verse 8, Wherefore he saith, in other words, when did you get these gifts? What are they about? When he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it that he also descended first into the Lord part of the earth? He that descended into the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. Uh, some of these, these are gifts. These men with these various titles was a ministry. It's a way of serving God. So God says that he gave some of these gifts, different ministries, and he says they're for a reason. Well, what for? We'll look in verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints. That word perfecting means for the equipping of the saints. To get God's people ready to prepare them. Fit for the Lord's work. Do you know why there's a lot of people who can't be used by God? Because they're not fit. They're not prepared. In other words, they don't have the standards that God requires. They don't have the love that God requires. There's some times that I would like to have people in certain positions, but I can't do it because if their faithfulness is not as it ought to be. And because of that, it's not that I limit anybody, it's that they limited themselves. Because there's things in the Word of God that God says, uh, this is the way it has to be. Did you know that I can ruin my whole ministry and nothing flat? It won't take much, and my ministry for 50 years of building can totally be blown out of the water. True? So I have to watch my P's and Q's and the rest of the alphabet. Now, here in this verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, get this, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Edify doesn't mean edify. It's edify. It means to beautify what's there and add to it. It means whatever it is that God wants you to do for the body is to build them up, to encourage people and cause peace and unity so that everybody is stronger in the Lord. Now, if everybody thought about the Lord's work the way you think about the Lord's work, or if they were as faithful as you are, what kind of a church would we have? What kind of a body of believers would there be if everybody was just like you are? This is how you have to think. Well, this is what the preacher's supposed to do. I'm supposed to try to get you to think. Remember that? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So you put salt in the oats to make him thirsty. You're trying to create a thirst where individuals think, I wonder what it is God wants for me. I've been waiting 20 years and he hadn't told me yet. What have you done in 20 years? Well, nothing. I'm not going to do anything until I know exactly what it is God wants me to do. Is that how you learn how to walk? Until I can walk perfectly, I'm not taking the first step. Okay, how long will you wait? The rest of your natural life. You see, it's easy to steer a car that's rolling, that's moving. Lord, lead and guide me. God said, why? You're parked. Why steer a parked car? 
You're not going anywhere. So you've got to be on the move. Start doing what you can where you are, and you'll be, God will open this door, and you'll find out, man, I, I didn't know I could do that. You've got a talent to do this, and a talent to do that. And, it's, and it's, you don't look at yourself now, you're going down the road. You want to be what God wants you to be. And look what he says here. In verse 13, till most of us come in the unity of the faith. Did y'all see anything in there that I might have messed up on? To we all. In other words, I am supposed to be working on you till we all are the way God wants us to be. Okay, how long is this going to take? It's a lifelong job, ain't it? For the rest of our lives. Don't you ever think, well, I have arrived. You have not arrived. I have not arrived. We all got work to do. Did you realize, since we have been doing our little Firehouse Five thing, did you realize that I have been playing my guitar off and on for, our, you know, 40-something years? Now that I've got these experts, they're able to show me the era of my ways. Now, so can they help me to be better than I was before? Depends on my attitude. Depends on my attitude. Who do you think you are? I mean, are you Chet Atkins? But my attitude is, I always want to try to do a better job. And if that's 68 years old, I've got to learn how to do a better job, then let me learn how to do a better job. You can always be working on your voice. You can always be working on a Sunday school class. You can always be working on the next Sunday school lesson. Always keep studying. I'll come over here and I'll sit in my office. And I will read and study for hours. And you know what? I don't have to. I know enough right now I could coast from here on in. And fool the majority of people. But I know... I don't always like to give warmed over bread. I like to serve sometimes. I, I like something fresh and hot. But now some of y'all, you like leftovers. I was in the bookstore the other day and I went by there. <laughs> Boy, I smell something good. I went into the kitchen. There's that Greg in there. And there was James in there. Mike was in there. And Greg, he's a cooker. He can cook. And he makes so much of it that he brings. And he says, just eat whatever y'all want. He says, because I'll take it home and heat it up again. And again. How many of y'all even though you had turkey on Thanksgiving Day, had Thanksgiving turkey the next day. The next day? And the next day, maybe? Leftovers are not always bad. Sometimes we just want to heat them up a little bit. But it's always good to have something else to go along with it. When you study the Bible, it's always review and something new. Review and something new. 
So anytime that I teach, I always like to review, give you something that you probably already know, maybe just a little bit of what you haven't heard before. Sometimes you don't always have something that nobody has ever heard of before. I mean, they've always heard of something, and you can't give them anything new. Now, I'll be honest, many times I'll go to church, and I'll sit, and I'll listen, and I'll go to these preachers' conferences, and I sit there, and I think, I haven't learned one new thing. I didn't learn one new thing. And I'm listening to some of the greatest preachers in America, and I didn't learn a thing. But they pricked my mind and stirred up my remembrance. It's not learning new things that's why you're going to grow. It's because you are maturing on things you already do know. And you don't forget it and keep refreshing your mind. That's what the word revival means. Revival. Every Christian needs to learn how to revive themselves. If things are not going right and you're kind of losing it and you're off track and feel like you're drifting, can you bring a revival in your own life? David, the Bible says, encouraged himself in the Lord. In other words, he talked to himself and told himself things. And encouraged himself. Do you always have to have somebody else do the job for you? I'm having another pity party. I told you I stopped having pity parties. Nobody would come. But he makes this statement. And I want you to see this word. In verse 13, till we all come. And you ought to underline this word. What's that word? Unity. You see, that's what we were studying over there in uh, the other verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, how the Holy Spirit is in unity with the Godhead wants to bring that to the church, wants to bring it into our own lives till we all have unity. And if we have unity, we can get more things done because we're not fighting among ourselves. A husband and a wife can enjoy life better when they're not fighting all the time. True? Sometimes here's a man and here's a woman. And let's say, for example, she is a racehorse and he's a jackass. And they get married. She wants to run and he wants to go slow. And they're yoked together. They are going to irritate each other to no end. Somebody has to learn to step up a little bit, and somebody must have to slow down a little bit. They have to adjust. Or you can just let the ray horse run and just drag the man to death. I was playing golf one day, but it started raining, and I was told it doesn't rain on a golf course. But lightning hit my friend. It was on the sixth hole. Killed him dead in a doornail. And so from there on out, it was hit the ball and drag Harry. Hit the ball and drag Harry. Okay, so that really didn't happen. I guess it's time to stop. What a sour note to stop on. There's no place as hot as the speaker's place when a joke goes sour. But the unity of God's people is so important. Because see, that's when God will bless you. He said, be peacemakers. 
unity, loving one another, caring for one another, and all those things could be done. Now, a lot of this I could have tied it into the book of Colossians in chapter 3, but for the sake of time, I didn't do so. But we'll get to Colossians at uh, another date. Anyway, look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. It's all the bad things that we do. But God says that um, he loves us. He hates our sin. Because we committed the sin, we have to pay for it. And that is eternal separation from God. So since everybody sins, everybody's in the same boat. We're all condemned. We're all guilty. So there's nothing that a man can do to make himself pure, to make himself perfect. It's impossible. But heaven, see, heaven is perfect. God is perfect. To live forever with the Lord, you've got to be perfect. Well, where you aren't. So how are we going to get there? God says, um, your sins won't let you in. I can't let you in because of that. Plus, you've got a payment to make, and that's eternal separation from God in hell. So we don't, it don't look very good for us. God says it's impossible for a man to save himself. Christ, this hand representing Christ, God in the flesh, came into the world because he loves us. Now he hates what we do wrong because it separates us from him. So Jesus Christ took all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. And God said that if you and I, if we would believe that he did it for us, he would put the payment he made to our account, and we get to go to heaven on what he did. See, there's no tricks to that. There's no gimmicks to it. It's a gift. It's totally free. I trusted Christ as my Savior, and God gave me eternal life. When I explained this the other day at the funeral, even with the joke, there was about 10 or 12 that trusted Christ as Savior. Because, you see, there's, there's power in this message, and when they hear it, and you don't know where you're going to die. And you hear it for the first time. You mean I can go to heaven when I die? Mean that I don't have to promise anything, stop anything? Just like I am, I can accept Christ as my Savior and he'll give me eternal life and I get to go to heaven? That's true. You say, well, what if I do something wrong tomorrow? Huh, you will. It's paid. What if I do something really bad? It's paid. Is what if I do something right before I die? It's paid. How many of your sins did he pay for? All of them. They're all paid. There won't be one sin for you to pay for. You see, you say, you don't deserve it. I know. Nobody deserves it. That's why he says, by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Best news in all the world. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. Friend, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you just talk to the Lord? See, you don't make a mistake this way. Only the true and living God can know what you're thinking. I don't know what you're thinking. I can't read your mind. But I do want you to trust the Lord. I want you to go to heaven when you die. So right now, if what I said made sense, you say, I want to go to heaven. And I believe Christ died on that cross and paid for my sins. And I'm going to trust him right now. As my only hope of going to heaven. Friend, God said if you would believe that he did it for you, he would save you and give you eternal life. And you get to go to heaven on what Christ did for you. So with heads bowed, eyes closed. Is there anyone at all say, yes, preacher, that made sense to me. And I'll trust Christ as my Savior this morning. And I'd like you to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Anyone at all? Just slip it up very quickly and put it right back down. Remember, there's no gimmick to it, no tricks. 
over and done with when you make that decision. Anyone at all. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we do thank you so much for your word you've given us. Lord, there's so much here, and we, we only scratched the surface, but I pray that there's uh, a little bit for each person and that uh, they'll learn some things from it, draw closer to you, and because as they draw closer to you, we draw closer to each other. Bless us in Christ's name. Amen. Do you have to be baptized in water to be saved and go to heaven? Would that make the person who baptized you your Savior? There are at least five baptisms in the Bible. Which one gets you to heaven? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book, or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound, and we will be changed, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me